you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. The amazing tuning into the podcast that you do every day so you can check out all the wonderful, amazing insights, authors, CEOs, and people we have on the show that make you smarter, and some people say make you more sexier. If you're smarter, you're more sexier. I'm not sure it works out that way uh, based on what I've seen with rock stars. But anyway, guys, welcome to the show. Refer to the show to your family, friends, and relatives. As always, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, all the places where... Uh, the Chris Voss Show is at. Today we have another amazing author on the show. Boya J. Farrar is on the show with us today. He's the author of the newest book that just came out, September 6, 2022, America Made Me a Black Man, a memoir and very insightful, uh, searing memoir of American racism from a Somalian American who survived hardships in his birth country only to experience firsthand the dehumanization of blacks in his adopted land the United States. We know that the United States, of course, has a long history of, a long sad history of racism, different things and issues. And so uh, it's going to be talking about his experience and him overcoming some of the different uh, struggles that he did throughout his lifetime. He was born in Somalia and raised in a valley among nomads. He grew up with a code of male bravado that helped him survive depredation, disease, and civil war. Arriving in America, he believed that the code that had saved him could help him succeed in his new country. But instead of safety and freedom, he found systematic racism, police brutality, and intense prejudices in all areas of life, including the workplace. He learned firsthand not only what it meant to be an African in America, but what it meant to be African-American. Welcome to the show, Boya. How are you? Doing wonderful. Glad, Glad to be here. Wonderful to have you as well, my friend. Well, uh, give us your dot coms or any place you want people to follow you on the interwebs, please. I have a website, aboyafara.com. I also, I'm also present in Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Boya Jafara. There you go. You got to be everywhere now these days on all these yeah, uh, platforms. Did. <laughs> <laughs> so is this your first book and what motivated you to write, write this book? This is my first book. What motivated me is I got upset with America. Yeah. I loved adopted country got me upset therefore i wrote this to america the beauty of america is people can get upset at it and and call it out we're uh i forget what it says in the constitution but something to the fact that we're on a constant journey to uh to get to some semblance of perfection but that that's a journey that will never end and we're constantly working towards it of course we have a lot of demons in our past we're kind of like uh the last five of my ex-wives uh (laughs) demons in my past are my past the demons i don't know you'll have to ask them they'll tell you uh so uh you you uh were born and grew up in somalia talk to us about let's start from the beginning and uh, talk to us about uh, that's that journey well i i was born to a nomadic family i am the the first son my father was the only boy and in a somali culture that's almost like a curse 
Wow. To be the first, the only boy in the family. And then he didn't have boys. There are two sisters older than me. Mm-hmm. And when I was born, I was actually a blessing of many. My father was a son. And what it means in that part of the culture, send uh, carries the family, sends the uh, son, protects the family, sends son is everything really. Um, so to have a son is to survive mm-hmm. in, in Somalia where, you know, uh, there, there's a constant battle over everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the nomads have normally nomadic culture is you don't belong. You belong to everywhere. You follow the rain. Wow. And so it's, a uh, you are as free as the American highways mm-hmm. uh, in the Somali culture. Poetry and freedom are, are the definition of the very Somali culture in East Africa, Somalia. There you go. Nomadic culture, that's really an interesting concept. Uh, when they, they say fall the rain, is that because you go where the water goes? Is that uh, the idea there? Yeah, I mean, I, I when I was growing up with my grandmother, uh, she, if the grazing the, the place where you live at, the grazing dries, um, you got to pick up whatever you have and follow, mm-hmm. follow the rain. Whatever the faint rain is, that's where you go. There you go. And of course, uh, you mentioned the freeways, you know, being uh, open and nomadic, except for California. I just want to get that joke in there. <laughs> the four, if you've ever been on the 405, there's no nomadic. You're just sitting there the whole time. <laughs> and, and, but no, I get what you mean. This is, this is really interesting. Uh, so you grew up, I, I, I know in the 90s, uh, Somalia collapsed into uh, total chaos. I think civil war, you'll correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, and and it, was this your childhood growing up in that era? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when the war happened when I was a little boy, you know, my father died, you know, and then the war happened. War just came, man, like a drifting wind. And my mother, you know, grabbed our hands and we walked out. Um, you know, at that time, Somalia was going through Initial stages of the war is the worst time because you don't know where to go. You don't, uh, you don't have any survival skills. It's just, uh, it's, it's tragic. You know, it's much more tragedy in the beginning of the war than later years of life. Because later years of life, you, you actually understand what the war culture is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it was really tragic that we had to walk out of our home um, and to anywhere safe. Mm-hmm. You know, when a young man, they, when a young man grows up, it's, you know, we're expected to, as men to, you know, bring stuff to the world. We have to build things. We have to achieve things. Um, and when a young man loses his father or when he's the only son in your case, as in both cases, um, you know, that's a lot of pressure, especially for a young boy who's, you know, still developing himself and still looking for leadership. What's that like growing up with that experience? Well, uh, I'm the first son. I have other uh, younger brothers, but the first son is basically, yeah. The first son is basically expected. I mean, really, <laughs> you are at the age, yeah, at, at the age of six or seven, you really have to show up your manhood. Mm-hmm. And in that part of the culture, crying is not part of our culture. Boys mm-hmm. don't cry. Men, boys are basically men in the making. Mm-hmm. If a boy cries, he'll never be a man. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so from six years old and up, there's no way you're going to cry. You have to uh, expect, actually, the family or the matter some other culture prepares the boy for hardship, mm-hmm. and war, and tragedies. Mm-hmm. And they prepare the girls for, um, um, you know, motherhood. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a two different approaches right, right from the start. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no way that you're going to expect to 
weep and then still remain your father's son. No way. Exactly. Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Now back to the show. It, it's quite the saddle to be put on. I, I was the first child and of course, you know, there was always the, well, if you know, everything you have is dead, you're the man of the house. You have to protect and take care of everybody. And I'm like, Hey man, I'm just a kid. Like, yeah. Wait, what the- I didn't sign up for this crap. So there you go. So how do yeah. you find your way to uh, through your life in Somalia, and then you end up uh, leaving Somalia? How does that How does that journey take place? Well, you know, you know, destiny is real. But I say God is real, the sky is real, the earth is real. You know, there is a lot of a lot of times you plan life, but you don't really plan life. Life plans itself. Destiny is part of it. And, and when the war happened, we really didn't know where we were going to go or we were going to end up. And the reality is we, we, we zigzagged in the countryside, alliance, and, you know, a treacherous journey yeah. where if you, if you, if you cry, I mean, even the children, toddlers, uh, learn not to cry. And wow. They learn not to ask food. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see your children asking for food because they are in peace, or they are in the U.S. and mm-hmm. somewhere, you know, children in hardship. They don't ask those things. You go, you go, you, go, you die. Uh, wow. And then we got to a Kenya refugee camp in 1991. Mm-hmm. We went back to the war twice. Jeez. And then we, we ended up in a refugee camp outside of uh, Bombasa, Kenya. Mm-hmm. And that refugee camp actually had, there were more people dying there than the people in the war because of dengue and, and malaria. We actually lost two boys there mm-hmm. that my mom adopted. And, um, and then, you know, we got sponsorship to the U.S. We came from a refugee camp to a place called Bedford, all white town, greenery, absolutely gorgeous. Almost like a heaven. Yeah. To heaven, you know, and, you know, so it's a, it's, it's a life. And so you, you go through this journey, uh, where you're escaping war, you're escaping hardship. Um, and you, you come to America and I imagine there's a lot of dreams or potential or, uh, you know, you, you kind of have maybe a vision of, of what, what you're headed to and what it might be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to me, uh, when I was in a refugee camp and I, and I write this in the book, uh, that, uh, America was a star. I mean, mm-hmm. in the refugee camp is completely dark and you sit, you know, sleep outside. Uh, the tent is kind of hard to sleep, right? open plane mm-hmm. where you, where you look at the, the only light that you have is the stars Wow! and the stars at nighttime, uh, in my childhood, in my childhood memories. So when I was looking at stars, the stars fight just like humans, mm-hmm. some stars fall, the star that remains. I used to think America to be that star and therefore 
to to be in America was to reach for the star, but to walk in America was basically to run in the rain naked. Wow! You know that you know it was, it was absolutely gorgeous. I really didn't want uh, did not want to die until I entered the heaven. And I remember even asking, begging God, you know, because I got malaria right before we came here. Oh wow! And um, I remember asking God, please, if you're gonna kill me, let me first enter America, then take my life. Wow! You know, and good thing. You know, God, listen. You know, that's a beautiful, beautiful analogy that you used about the stars. And I, I never really thought about it from the angle that they fight. And, of course, some f- stars fall. And the yeah. key is to be a star that, that stays. That's a beautiful analogy. And I think when people um, talk about immigration to America, when they think of people that come to this country and want to come to this country, you know, I, I've always been inspired by uh, the uh, Statue of Liberty on the thing. Uh, and recently we saw some immigrants persecuted by uh, some ugly governors uh, manipulating them and spending more money they would have spent to take care of them, uh, to, to fly them on private jets. Um, but what people have to realize is that is that there's so much of that dream and passion for people to want to come to what they perceive as the shining city on the hill, although that's kind of a negative connotation in kind of some of our history. But they believe so much in the dream and the vision and they want to come here and they want to do good things and they want to be great people and they want to take part in this beautiful experiment we call a democracy. At least we are this week. <laughs> we'll see what happens next week. Uh, and, and so I think it's great that you, you share this and people get a sense of this, that there's a human beings. I, I hate when they call them immigrants on TV and stuff and in the news that I'm like, they're fucking human beings goddamn human beings and there shouldn't be flags or territorial crap that separates us um anyway uh i had to get my little uh, psa in there um so uh you come to america what what what's the experience like after you get here well uh, well experience you know actually the initial experience matched the star it really it really did it actually matched the star it, it matched the uh the that running that you know na- running naked in in the rain, it really did, because you know you get to see, you get to see a trim grass, mm-hmm. green grass. You get to see clean roads. The only awkward uh, thing that I thought Americans practice is the having dogs inside their homes. Oh yeah, that, that didn't really. The dogs, animals belonged outside, and <laughs> you know, animals don't. Only humans belong inside. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I remember walking, you know, in, in Bedford. Absolutely gorgeous place. Absolutely a place that that actually I restore what I basically I became an optimist because what people in Bedford did for me is they care for me. And I thought people that are not connected to me, they've never seen me, they're white people. I'm an African child, black. And what it did for me inside of me is human beings, strangers care. Therefore I care for them. Mm-hmm. That's the attitude that I actually developed in Bedford. Mm-hmm. That I was the only immigrant student, I had my own t- teacher called Esty in Bedford High School. I mean, it was it was remarkable. I mean, it was strange a little bit because I've never seen so many white people and I wanted to touch their hands, you know, <laughs> see what they, you know what I mean? And they also want to touch me as well and see what is African boy, how is it like, you know, what, you know. And so it was, it was, it was absolutely gorgeous where I'm amazed by them. I'm looking at them and I want to like, you know, be friends with them, touch them and play with them. But they also want to do the same thing and 
So it was a, it was a gigantic learning experience for me. It opened my, my, you know, my mind to possibilities of humankind. And you write about this in the book. You talk about your experience and journey. Where does it go from there? Where does it go awry? And where do you start oh. having issues with this country that we all get to throw rocks at? Thankfully, we can legally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you're not really an immigrant like me who ran away from war, looks at America's heaven, right? And mm. also, American life or even a black life in America, they don't, you, you're not really an American until you start to drive. You're not really <laughs> American until you get a job. You know, that's when you actually experience the real America. I thought it was when you go to McDonald's and order the Big Mac. <laughs> that, I mean, that was, that was actually, that was the, the good part of it. You know? <laughs> like, I was addicted to uh, Boston cream, Dunkin' Donut, you know, mm. uh, cream. I was also addicted to fast foods. Yeah, I'm like, surprised oh, we haven't made you fat yet. That's yeah. what we do. We're good at that. You know, I, was really, I loved everything about America, really. But once you, once you start driving, that's when you get to see the America that awaits you, the America that black people in general in this country complain about. That, that reality is what, that's when I get to know, you know, little by little, even when I was biking, I get to know it. Then when I was driving, I get to know it. And when I get a job, I get to know more and more and more. And then that, when you, you become a drifter after that. You go mm -hmm. from one job to the next and, you know, you really don't belong anywhere. And that's the tragedy of the American story that needs to be talked about and fixed. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're 450 years of dealing with racism and, and issues of this country, how it was built, uh, you know, and how it was, you know, all the things that have gone into it. Uh, you know, we've had people on the uh, uh, show that have written about James Baldwin and, you know, a lot of stuff that James Baldwin's talked about, what, what has it been, 70 years now, uh, 60, 70 years? You know, you could take all of it and put it on today. We've, we're a country that uh, has a real problem with racism, with uh, prejudice, um, and, and uh, the challenge of fixing it stuff. So um, when do you start discovering this? I've had people on the show that have, have talked about, you know, when they first discovered that there's a, there's a racial problem in America. When do you start discovering this, and when does it start really coming to a head for you? Uh, I, I start actually, um, I was, I really didn't want to go against, I would, I didn't want to admit the reality of America because I have mm -hmm. so much love. So, you know, initially, uh, even when I was, before I, I learned to drive, I was used to being on a bike mm -hmm. from my apartment to the library. And I write about it in the book. One time I went to a small sub, sub and shop and, you know, and stuff, sub, you know, sub shop. And I wanted to, I was addicted to pizza, you know. Uh, <laughs> we got and, you in America. You became you know, American, I, buddy. I, I love pizza, man. So, you know, every time I, I saved a little money or someone gives me something, I used to just bike there and have, you know, have that pizza, you know. And I remember the guy behind the counter, as soon as I entered, he knew me because I'd been there so many times. I love pizza. And he threatened to call the cops. You know, really? As soon as I, yeah, as soon as I get in there, he was like, the, the, the cops are right there. And, you know, I, you know, what am I going to say? I, I wanted to sit, but I didn't sit. I got grabbed by pizza, you know, ate outside and bike back. Wow. So little by little, there was a lot of different episodes like that. But once again, who am I to complain when I came from death? It's true. You know? So those well. little things I overlooked became like small, metaphorically, small little bullets mm -hmm. you're carrying. Mm -hmm. you know, small little bullets penetrating your body without your knowledge. 
And then one day you, um, you go into depression because it's just too much for you. Mm-hmm. And that's when I began to write this book. You know, you entitled it, America Made Me a Black Man. Talk to us about what that means in your title, why you, why you made it that title. Uh, in Africa, I am my father's son mm-hmm. in that valley. And um, his enemy is my enemy. We only loves as well, so that the person that I love. And also, the, I, I was born to protect the valley, to protect the weak, and mm-hmm. know my enemy exactly where they are, you know what I mean? But you, you come to America, I was never a black man in America, right? Because I came from that culture. Everyone is black in Somalia. There's no labeling. Um, I came here and then uh, America teaches you little by little that you are a black man in its soil. And the way it teaches you is those metaphorically, those bullets that I just explained, little by little, there's annoyance builds up. And mm-hmm. ultimately you become your, your good friend uh, the person that I talk about it in, in, in the book, Derek, may he rest in peace. Basically, you used to tell me, hey, you're, you're not, are you a black man yet? Because I used to, even though we're going through the same thing, I used to deny it because I didn't, didn't want to go against America because still America brought me into their, into its own soil. And like, no, you know, I got, I got too much, too much in me. They, they gave me so much. I'm a guest. Also, my father's culture, you're a guest. Uh, you go to someone else, you have to be a guest. Therefore, you honor that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a lot of complexity in my head that was denying the reality of black people in America. Uh, and, and this is true for, as part of the American history. The only difference is I'm adding new voice and African perspective to this mix. But uh, to be black in this country is to be almost like an orphan because you don't, you don't belong. Mm-hmm. Your whole country rejects you. What do you do? You can't find a job. What do you do? You're highly educated. You're, you become a drifter. What do you do? I mean, all these questions that what do you do come becomes, uh, you, you go into a uh, depression. What well, this, the, the comment that he made is, uh, is powerful. You know, are you a black man yet? Uh, and, 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 uh, dealing with your denial and things of that nature. Um, it's, it's, it's saddening that we, we have this going on in our country where we've been dealing with it for so long, we still haven't resolved it. And of course you see the issues that we had during 2020, we had the George Floyd, uh, murder and, uh, you know, lots of other, uh, heinous things that went on. Um, and this country still struggles with it. I mean, I, in January 6th, seeing the Confederate flag from the civil war that we fought over slavery almost 200 years ago in in a rotunda. And I'm like, this war is still being fought by, by remnants of our country. Uh, it's just heartbreaking and astounding and shocking. And it also tells us how far we, we still need to go. And I think, I think books like yours and stories like yours are an indication of, of the, we, we still have a long ways to go and a lot of work to do as a country to come together as a people. Indeed, indeed. It is true. I mean, uh, oh, the overall message of the of the book is basically, I love you, America. Black people loves you. Reciprocate the love. We are looking for a merit-based system. America is rich enough. We solve other people's problems, but we can't solve our own. Mm-hmm. I'm inside the belly. We're inside the belly. The belly has to work for everyone. It got to feed everyone. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, the, it's just, uh, I, I like, I like, I mean, I, I'm glad the book is having uh, uh, is, is spark 
it's it's you know there's a debate around this, mm-hmm. and 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 that's the beauty of America. America's still learning, and uh, I'm hoping that we will continue to grow because America is also one of the country, youngest country in the world. We are. You know, we are we're a young democracy, yeah. and uh, like you say, I mean, the the analogy of the stars. The stars uh, they fight, and some of the stars fall. I mean, we're very close historically to a, a, an empire falling to fascism and the war that you saw. And I don't know that we'd ever fully break into a civil war. I'm not really sure people are going to drive their land rovers into each other in our country. We're kind of too lazy to do a war. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we would have a political war, I think, that we have going on right now. Um, and it's a war between democracy and fascism and authoritarianism. And uh, if you study history, if you study um, the rise of fascism, authoritarianism, and white nationalism and stuff, it's it's a very dark ending that we're on a pathway to. And we've got to somehow get this train off of the tracks of destiny that it seems to be on. And it, it really comes down to the people. You know, the people here choose the government they want. And they also choose the America that they want. And, uh, you know, so it's good that you have this book, that you're having this discussion, that you're sharing your story. I love your Somalian analogies. Um, and you write a lot of beautiful sort of poetic sort of things and analogies in the book so that people people get a feel for, you know, painting a good picture of of what what uh, what is out there and how we need, just need to be better everybody. You know, this isn't my 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 grand my I'm an immigrant technically. Uh, you know, I am a immigrant, really, when it comes down to it. Not not firstborn like yourself, but my great grandfather, so two generations up, came from Germany. And when he came to this country, he didn't speak a lick of German uh, English. Uh, he was recruited by some Mormon missionaries, unfortunately, who brought him to America or got him to come to America. He stepped off a train, uh, and he couldn't speak a lick of English. And people uh, helped him, took him into their homes, uh, gave him jobs, and uh. Here I am, two generations, two or three generations later. And, uh, you know, this is a nation of immigrants. I mean, that's really what it is. And people want to come here and make things better. And there's not a lot of people that come here and go, let's make things worse. Because if you've seen America, there's not much more we could do to be worse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, really, the the beauty of of America is I was in Somalia last, last three years on and off. And um, the what I really uh, I miss I miss the diversity of America. I miss Chipotle, you know. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like I miss small little subs. You know, I, I miss America. Is absolute. There's any. There's unlike any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. And I'm saying it a very. I've seen it. You know, the, the the diversity of this country, where you can have access to if you want to go to. Uh, China and have Chinese food. You got a place. You go to like Sierra Leone. You got you. There's a spot. There's there's a, there's a restaurant somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know. So America is basically uh, it, it, this experience, unlike any other experience under the planet. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it, and sometimes young people, Americans, don't see what they have. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't even know what you have until you lose it. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's very important. That young, old Americans used to travel. Young Americans, I don't know if they even travel because whenever I go to, you know, somewhere else, I don't really see Americans much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe if we travel, we'll be able to have access to them. But I really want young people, young Americans, I'm hopeful, uh, despite everything I've seen. I've seen death. I've seen war. I've seen everything. I've seen racism, which I think racism is much more generational 
than, than war. War is immediate. Racism is generational. And that's why in the book, I said racism is worse than war because war is immediate. Why? That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't, you don't really inherit it, but racism, mm-hmm. you inherit it. I really want young Americans to look at themselves and read the book and just think and know this country is capable of fixing its own mm-hmm. problems. So this country can move on in the right direction. I do not like to see what I have left behind a civil war in, in this country. I use the analogy, I use the metaphor of the, the green grass turning gray mm-hmm. uh, or the, or the red, God refusing the rain. Mm-hmm. If war comes, God will refuse the rain mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of the countries that are war, most of it, there's a lot of uh, starvation because the rains don't come. Uh, so peace comes with rain. Mm-hmm. Rain comes with prosperity. Uh, so we want to make sure the markers and lips and people get along and uh, the wrong is right. The tragedies are admitted and so we can move on. That's the, that's the story that I'm telling you that, hey, we can, we can fix this. We just have to listen to each other, admit what we have done wrong and move on. And I, I love your analogy. The the grass can turn gray. I, you're, you, a lot of these things are really going to stick with me, dude, for years. That's going to stick Thanks. with me for a long time. I love the analogies and stuff you put in the book. Uh, and that, that paints the picture and helps people understand the stories. And, yeah, these conversations are tough. They're hard to have. It's hard to look at you and go. Uh, you're, you're, it's hard to look internally and go, uh, do I have issues? You know, I, I, I've spoken about this on the show and I try and do this as a way to, to, to help people and, and have gotten a lot of good feedback on it. But when, when, uh, I, I grew up in a, in California, so I grew up in with everybody, you know, I, I was friends with everybody. And, and so I didn't feel like I had any sort of racial, uh, tendencies or, or racist tendencies or anything like that. Uh, but you know, I grew up with a lot of influences. I grew up with, uh, I didn't realize at the time that, you know, watching some of the things that were on my TV, like John Wayne shows and stuff had a lot of, uh, had a lot of community, were communicating a lot of negative messages and stuff in them. Um, and I remember, uh, when Donald Trump took presidency and I was shocked, uh, I didn't think we were that kind of a country. And, uh, I, all my friends, uh, of different cultures, races, uh, sexuality, uh, were being assaulted the very next day, that night, their, their cars were painted. They were being thrown out of taxis, all sorts of hate, uh, began on that day. Uh, and I, I asked myself, you know, what is this white nationalism? What is this about? What is, who, who are these white nationalists that voted this guy in? And we've had a lot of great authors on the show that have talked about it, but, be, even I had to sit down and go, do I have any of this? Are there words that I use like, uh, you know, uh, you know, nationalism or is there, is there anything I use? And it's important that we have these discussions, that we look inside, that we have a inventory that we take and that we talk about what other people's experiences are because, uh, that just makes us get along better with everybody else and, and understand everybody else's experience so that we can make America better. Uh, true, true. I'm, I'm mostly politics. I'm not a politician. I'm a writer. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I should say I hate politicians, but I don't want to admit that. Uh, whenever I think about politics, it's what I think about is war, you know, in my, in my young days. It was not the people that wanted to fight each other. It was politicians that divided the people, truthfully speaking, you know, in my, in my young life in Somalia. So what, what politicians say is it's important. You know what I mean? Because 
you know, their, their, their words carry a lot more weight than you and I because they have audience. And what you tell those audience matters. Uh, you know, and it's tragedy that they, they might escape, but uh, those people who are listening to their songs might not escape. Because uh, when tragedies come, it just come like rain, man. Rain will touch everyone. You know what I mean? It's just not a, it's not a, it's not a, not a pretty place for when when people two two neighbors each fight each other. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. I remember when I was a little boy, my best friend coming to the house with an AK forty seven, looking for me. I, I didn't do anything with it, the kid. Wow. Uh, he he just heard that we were on the wrong side of the history. Uh-huh. And and now he survived. What sometimes we have a conversation and he's very, you know, he didn't find me I, because we escaped. Uh-huh. You know, thank God. But now he's an adult and I'm an adult. And now we understand each other. There was a civil war. You know, it, the enemy was not really between us. It was politicians. Wow. You know, so politics, I always, atta- I always think about those two, you know, me and my best friend being two different camps and fighting each other for nothing. And then when we both survived, we admitted that we, you know, it was he was wrong for him to look for me. Uh, he's very apologetic, but I understand mm. that it was just a civil war. He was just a young boy. And, and this happened very, in Somalia, huh? It just happened in Somalia, yes. Wow. So uh, politicians' words are very, very important. Very yeah, important. and that's an, that's another great lesson from the book. You know, they wrote in the Constitution, "We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union." What people always need to realize about that line in the U.S. Constitution is that we will never achieve perfection. Perfection is never achieved. It's an it's an insane thing to go after as a human being. To, if you think you're ever going to achieve perfection, <laughs> you haven't lived long enough. It's always a journey, and that journey is never ending. Uh, as President Obama said once, uh, we're a country that zigs and zags back and forth, and uh, yings and yangs, if you will. Uh, we're, we're constantly, you know, zigzagging to try and find that more perfect union to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity. Um, and uh, that's what they put in the U.S. Constitution. But it's always going to be a journey. We're never a perfect union. When I hear these people say, we're the greatest country in the world. No, we're not. <laughs> we're on a journey. No, no, yeah, that's true. What you said is real. I mean, the word perfection does not belong to us. It belongs to the unseen. It belongs to God. Mm. You know, you have to, you have to keep working, keep trying. You know, uh, the day that you have everything in life, that's the day you're gone. You're gonna, you're gonna, you, you know what I mean? Because you have no challenges. Yeah, you have absolutely no challenge. You need, you need something to work on so uh, that hope can continue. This country is young. Uh, we made a lot of problems. We'll continue to. We made a lot of a lot of a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes. We'll continue to make them, but we need to make. We need to admit some of the things that we've done wrong. That at least you know for people of color, mm-hmm. and and so they can be included. And and for me to come here and write, I want to write a book of love, mm-hmm. America. I wanted to take that green grass mm-hmm. and apply it. How beautiful America is. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, so would a good analogy be then that you you love America and that's why you're criticizing it and saying, I love you, but you can be better and I still love you. But there's, you know, it's, I mean, it's a relationship. 
And when we've all done that in a relationship where we said, I love you, but some things need to change. You could be better. <laughs> and I think that that's the same message that black people have been sending, sending for, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for a long time. You know, America, black, you know, black people in this country are not going anywhere. They're in the army. They're, actually, the soft power of America is, is, is African-American culture, mm-hmm. music. When you are in a, somewhere else, anywhere in the world, you know Michael Jackson. And as soon as you hear Michael Jackson, you love Michael Jackson, you connect to America. Mm-hmm. You know, you love LeBron, LeBron James, who, you know, you, you connect to America. Yeah. You know what I mean? So fashion, sports, you know, music, all of that is soft power. Yeah. And black people represent that. But that has to be reciprocated. That love that black people project throughout the world, they don't receive that in, inside the belly. Yeah. You know, the belly of America. And, and the message is, Black people love this country. I love this country. There's no doubt about it. The love has to be reciprocated. We're looking for a system, a merit-based system. I'm educated. Uh, hey, give me a chance. Let me, let me, you know, I don't like the hierarchy. I don't like, you know, also my nomadic culture doesn't allow me to be lower than other Americans. Mm-hmm. I feel equal because I was born like that. I can't help it. And it, it should be that way. I mean, uh, that's what America is supposed to be about. No one is above the law. No one is above one another. The law is supposed to apply equally to everyone. Uh, and uh, we shall be treating each other as Americans. I mean, sure. that's that's what this country is about. To me, deeply, we should all treat each other like human beings, regardless of what country we subscribe to. To me, there's the territorial flags. And, and I, I think everyone should should probably hold that as a baseline that we're all human beings inside you know a, a father wants the same thing most fathers or mothers oh, they want the same things for their children regardless of what country they are i remember when sting wrote a song about you know the russians love their children too you know i was growing up uh, as a child you know the russians were the enemies back then ussr and you know i had to hide under a desk as a child uh, from, you know, practice for nuclear bombs falling as if that was going to save us. So it was kind of interesting to look back on. But, you know, he wrote a song called uh, the, the Russians Love Their Children Too. It made me realize that, that you know, there, there, there's mothers and fathers and, and parents and children's people who just want to live their lives. And they don't want to, you know, deal with tyranny of government and everything else. And and it's good that you you talk about this sort of stuff in your book because, I grew up in America being born here, we, you know, taking it for granted. You're just like, hey, you know, it's great. Everybody's got freedom and TV and Big Macs and, you know, pizza. Uh, and then you kind of find out that it's not. And you kind of find out that, you know, it's, it's not great. And then it's, you know, we've been kind of going through this discussion the last few years. We had one of the authors of 1619, the book 1619 on and we've had a lot of great authors on over the last few years. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what's gone on in schools with education and stuff. We have to look at the ugly parts of our history before we can fix them. The one thing man can learn sure. from his history is that man never learns from his history. Uh, and uh, we have to look at the ugliness. We have to look at our past to rechange our future. Because if we don't address our past, the future will never change. That is what you said is real. I mean, it's true, but it's, it's hard. We don't, we don't, we, we know a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And this is, this is America. We, we know a lot. We have access to all the information on our, on our computers. You know, Google is right there. We don't want how other nations have learned 
uh, their own mistakes. Ultimately, we will learn our mistakes because the uh, pain will force us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not saying this lightly, it's real. If you don't confront um, and you don't fix, um, uh, ultimately, um, tragedies uh, will be democratic. Mm -hmm. And this warning, this, this book is partly warning. Uh, in my own life, I've seen it. And sometimes, you know, if we don't, even though it's very tough for us to acknowledge what has, you know, what our own mistakes, what we have done wrong, but it's judging history is very important. If we're going to renew our hope and our, 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 our dream and make this country a better place, it's very important that we acknowledge uh, our own path and examine it so we can, we can, we can have a better future for the unborn. Not, not just the ones who are living now, but, but those who are unborn. Very, very important. And those reactionaries who are saying we should not look back, those are the same people I've seen in my rear view, uh, looking back in Somalia where those who at the end bury their own children in a shallow grave. And that's not where we want to go. We want to be able to admit our own faults, uh, fix home. This is home for all of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, continue to learn. Yeah. I mean, we can, this, this, we, we have people right now that are politicians that are advising for war, that are trying to stoke civil war. They're trying to stoke hate with one another. And this is one of the problems of, of the human existence. It just confounds me that people still don't get it when politicians play people against each other, when they're always, I mean, this has been going on since Roman times, since Greece, Greek times for thousands of years of humanity, it's always some politician or someone wanting power going, that guy over there is going to steal from you. Meanwhile, he's the guy who's stealing from everyone. Yeah. And uh, he's like, look over there, look over there and steals all your you know, food money mm -hmm. and stuff. And so uh, we have, you know, the billionaire class and oligarchy in this country that's kind of started to take over with, uh, you know, some of the SCOTUS rulings and things that have gone on with Citizens United. And as Americans, we need to stand up and go, you know, this is everyone's country. This isn't your country. And and uh, maybe it's not the bad person over there who's the problem. Maybe it's the person who's pointing the finger at those folks. And we need to really identify, um, you know, who the real problems are in this country. Because you get the government and you get the country you deserve. It's true. I think I think it goes back to young people. I think we should educate young. The young should, you know, the young are they're the risk takers. Mm -hmm. Anyone, oh, you know, the older are hard. It's hard to take risk when you're much older. But when you're young, you can you can take risk and you can fix and you can uh, engage. We need young leaders in this country, really. We have a lot of older people who are running the show here, and those older people carry. They're not going to change. Um, you know, we need young and hopeful people with who are willing to take risk, to confront, to change, to sing. We need young Bob Dylan. I'm a mm -hmm. lover of Bob Dylan in the sixties. <laughs> I think I think sixties Americans were the best in terms of like, you know, well, you know, protesting against the war in Vietnam or protesting against black brutality it was real. It's organic. Mm -hmm. You know. And I think I think uh we need that kind of spirit in, in the American life. I think I think if we get that, then America can renew itself. But there you if go. we don't if we don't if we hide, if we don't tell the truth, uh, then things might go worst. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah. If I you don't... The spirit from, from the spirit of that generation. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Dylan and Tony Morrison and 
Malcolm, you know, all these revolutionary people that wanted to see America with, you know, and it's, it is best. Yeah, definitely. A more perfect union or the journey there to, of, uh, I think it's great that you're, wrote this, uh, hopefully to appeal to young people, to get them, uh, interested, excited, educated, motivated. Uh, the future is their future. I mean, yep. it really is. I mean, they're, they're the ones who are going to have to live in this country for, uh, you know, most of their lives. And, uh, you know, the, the future, uh, that, that comes after that they pass down to their kids is going to be, you know, the, the one thing about the more perfect union statement in our constitution and the drive for to become American is like you mentioned earlier in the show, we're a very young democracy. We're a very young country when it comes to other countries, but you've seen, if you've watched, you've seen empires fall, Rome fell, uh, you know, it used to be the British colonies the sun never set on them. Uh, you know, every dog has its day. And uh, there's always the potential that our day could come to an end as an empire, as, as, a, as a democracy, and everything else. And uh, you've got to fight for it. You've got to care about it. You've got to curate it and take care of it. Otherwise, uh, if you, you know, if you, if, you, uh, if you don't, it will wander off. What's the old thing? But it, which you, you, know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. That is true. And I really wrote this book from that spirit of mm -hmm. renewal. That is spirit of um, telling the truth. So we can force. When I say I write, I tell people I, this is a love letter to America. And it really is. Because if you love something, you have two choices. You can walk away and it can crumble. Probably, you know, something awful happens. Or you can look at it and says, I love you, but this is what's wrong with you. Fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, so... You know, even though there's a lot of, it's heavy. The book is, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's heavy book. Uh, but at the same time, you can feel the love in the grass. You can leave, feel the love on the, in the highway. You can leave the, you know, almost every scene that you look at it, there, there is love right there that says, Hey, I got incredible love for you, man. Change. You can do it. You know, and I really have that spirit that we can do it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I really do. We can do it. I mean, America can, can do it if we, if we spread the right information to young people. And so they can believe themselves that they can actually do something if that happens. The young will, 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 you know, America will continue. The grass will continue and we'll, we'll be all right. Yep. America is, a, America is a great baton race. And every generation passes that baton one to another. And that's how we got 240 some odd years into this experiment. And the only future that we have, you know, I, I make it a point to vote. I vote, I, you know, I largely vote moderate Democrat, but, you know, I, I often tell people that if there was a fascist authoritarian as a Democratic presidential candidate, I would vote against him. You know, you have to f figure out who's going to carry this baton forward, this country mm -hmm. forward, this great Americans. Uh, experiment forward without mm -hmm. invoking hate and division and separation and everything else. So, uh, it's, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, hate is not going to do anything. That's just, just look at my Somalia. That's it. Hate will not do anything. It will destroy the green grass. It will destroy the American highways. It will destroy what we have. The hot water, the cold water. People don't have access to that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. 
that's that's a great analogy to take and have. Uh, so it's been wonderful, boy, to have you on the show and, and a brilliant discussion. Hopefully people uh, learn a lot from it and stuff. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Uh, I have a boyafara.com. It's my website. I also use Twitter, boyajfara, um, Instagram, boyajfara, and also LinkedIn, boyajfara. Um, those are all my social media presence and i appreciate the love man thank you for having me and uh, you know it's, it's a wonderful discussion honor to have you my friend honor to have you and hopefully we get better as a as a country and uh we all, we all start treating each other as americans and as human Indeed. beings for god's sake Indeed. um yeah. it, it's really important I, it, you know when you see the tv when you see the news people uh, and they're referred to as immigrants. Realize that there's different, you know, George Carlin talked about this, the dehumanization of language and how we use language to dehumanize people. And realize that when some people, politicians, or sometimes you'll see it on certain news channels, they use language to dehumanize as people. And it really makes me frustrated when, when I, you know, they're immigrants or you know, something other than just human beings. They're human beings. They're mothers, they're fathers, they're people just like you that have hearts and minds, that have children that want the best for them, that want to see them grow. Uh, there's so true. There's, they're human beings. So keep that in mind when you hear those, yeah. when you hear that language that dehumanizes, uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, that so is so true. Yeah, that is so yeah. true. I, I just want to add, that's wonderful what you just said. I'm, I have an example of it. I mean, we wouldn't have an iPhone, you know, Steve Jobs' father yeah. is from Syria. Yeah. You know, like this country benefits mm -hmm. immigrations. So when you're looking at that child on TV and somebody's demonizing, one day that child might contribute to the United States of America. Just keep that in mind. And that, that is it. You can actually Google and see how many immigrants that have contributed to this country. It's, it's, mm -hmm. This country is better because of immigration. You we will be uh, some small country in, in Europe. I mean, look at, European countries, no one knows, but America is present everywhere, culturally, um, it, it's present because of immigration. We are, we are the world. We, yep. we have to make sure that we, we, we keep that. We're an immigrant nation. I mean, we really are. Uh, so uh, order up the book, guys, wherever fine books are sold. America Made Me a Black Man, a memoir. You can get that uh, wherever fine books are sold. Thank you very much, boy, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it again. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. There you Thanks go. Well. Thanks, Simonis, for tuning in. Be sure to share the message, and uh, let's build a better country. Uh, go to uh, all of our places on YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, and all those places on the interwebs. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.